As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to On Farm. Thank you for joining us. My name's Anna Davis and today I'm in one of the fields here on our farm in East Lothian. This time we are partnering with SOPA, the Scottish Organic Producers Association, and we're talking all about this stuff, soil. It gets under your fingernails, stains your kids' clothes, but as one of our guests says in this episode, it's the six inches beneath our feet that keeps us alive and for most of us in agriculture, provides a livelihood but that we don't often think much about and all too often just take for granted. So what if I was to say to you that there's a project underway in Scotland that hopes to show that farmers can scale up the amount of climate damaging carbon that can be trapped right here in the soil simply by spreading out crushed rock, a byproduct of the quarrying industry onto the soils where we grow crops. Not only would it trap or sequester carbon, it could also offer other benefits to our soils. Rock on Soils, as it's called, is a joint EU and Scottish Government funded collaboration between forward thinking farmers and scientists taking place here in Scotland. The project is being led by the Scottish Organic Producers Association, SOPA, the UK's only membership body owning Scottish organic standards, with funding from the Knowledge Transfer Innovation Fund and in collaboration with Abate University, the James Hutton Institute, the University of Dundee and the Ulich Research Centre in Germany. We should say that at the time of recording, the results are still coming in from the on-farm measurements, but this episode is all about demonstrating what those involved hope to achieve. SOPA are also keen to inspire more of us as farmers to think more about our soils, the value they bring and the potential and indeed the responsibility we have to nurture what is under our feet. Right, I think that's all the background information that we need to set the scene. Um, there is a little bit of science to understand, so it's a bit, maybe a bit more of a head-scratcher than some of our episodes, but we'll hear from a geotechnical engineer at Abate University, so we're in good hands on that front. We will also hear from a couple of farmers, including the next voice you'll hear, Alex Brewster who is a farmer, beef and sheep farmer from Dunkeld. We ended up speaking to Alex on his mobile in his tractor cab because he's a very busy man, like all farmers. So the sound quality is maybe not quite as good as we'd like and we do apologise, but please stick with it because it is well worth the listen. I suppose we we specialise in rotational grazing, mob grazing systems, and I got involved with or became a host farm for this uh, rock on soils project because I was primarily using the product on on farm. We've been using it for quite a number of years, and we think it adds quite a lot to the, the biology on farm. Hi, I'm Doug Christie. I farm just outside of Leven in Fife on a mixed farm, of which a third of it is organic 
with um, beef cattle herd on it, and the rest of it is, uh, I've been farming uh, sort of conservation agriculture, regenerative type agriculture for about 20 years now. Hi, everybody. I'm Ehsan Jorat. I'm senior lecturer in geotechnical engineering at Aberte University. My involvement in carbon sequestration project has been since 2014, where we started looking into incorporating inorganic carbon function into urban soil and looking into incorporation of the same function into agricultural soil is something quite new for me and this started really with uh, uh, working closely with Alex Brewster. We're here really to talk about soil management that that's the key really and, and the science and the collaboration behind it but Alex perhaps I could come to you first um soil why are we even talking about soil? Why, why is it so important for, for farmers? It's the sort of top six inches that keeps humanity alive. And, and we tend to walk across it every day. We drive over it. We do a lot on it, but don't think an awful lot about it. And I suppose I was guilty of that, as many people are. And then within the last, I think maybe 10 years, I started to dig a bit deeper, look a bit deeper and get a bit more involved within, within soil function and what it contributed on a on a local sort of farm level, what it contributed towards my business. Primarily for me, it, it was about nutrition. It was what it contributed towards grass growth, animal performance, live weight gain. There were a lot of benefits that came from farming with livestock performance if you could manage soils better. And so that's what this project is all about, really. You, you're a farmer. But you can't do it all alone. You need a collaboration with scientists to truly understand um, nutrients, carbon, microbiology, everything that comes together, the, the air and the soil, in order to make you or enable you um, to make use of that soil and take care of that soil to the best of your ability. And I guess that's why we're here today to talk about this project, which, as I said before, is the Rock on Soils project. Um Essan, perhaps if I could come to you next, um, how do you think that that the science that you're able to to deliver is is helping farmers to to truly understand this, as I say, the soil under their feet and the soil that delivers their livelihoods and our food? I think our part and our contribution as the scientific team is to uh, try to look into in, uh, into this concept the concept of soil health and especially in this respect what happens around inorganic carbon formation in soil how that is going to impact on the overall productivity of uh, um, of what we have in, in, in farmlands so what we do is to look closer into soil properties so going into different scales of soil, um, how soil reacts to certain material being added to them as agricultural input. And then um, what happens when the inorganic carbon forms in soil and as a result of inorganic carbon formation, what would be the impact of that in soil health? And how would be the impact of the uh, increase in soil health beyond overall productivity of, uh, of, of farmland. So that is where we think we have provided input and this because of the um, type of tests that we are focused on and the results being generated from those, we would be able to answer those key questions 
uh, related to this field. Yeah, so I'm going to just read this from my sheet to make sure I get it absolutely right. Um, the project aims to demonstrate the use of crushed basic silicate rock as a soil input to both capture and store atmospheric carbon and provide slow release nutrients at the field scale. Now, that's what we're talking about here. It's effectively crushed rocks being put onto the soil. Now, Doug, what was it about the premise of this project that got you interested? You know, you volunteered to take part in this, but what was it that really captured your attention? Um, I've heard about crushed rocks. It sounds incredibly painful, but um, I've I've heard about um, the product from various farmers that have used it in the past, incorporating in their compost and so on. I've asked various fertilizer people about it, um, selling synthetic fertilizers, and they um, wrote it off straight away. And that made me think, well, maybe there is something in in it because they're not selling it. And they're obviously, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in any products that can have the ability to improve soil health without synthetic inputs. Because I've in the past put far too much synthetic inputs on the soil and to a, a very detrimental effect, I think. It's going to take a long time for the soils to recover. Farming for the last hundred years has relied more and more on um, synthetic inputs, and I'm sure it's not doing the biology or the health of the soil any good. Can you tell us a bit more about what you were already doing with regard to soil health on your own farm and and perhaps how that may change going forward based on on this project? Well, um, 20 years ago, I went, um, I I sort of stopped ploughing. I went down the conservation or minimum tillage route and now I'm basically not tilling anything. Everything's direct drilled on the arable part of the farm. And on the livestock part of the farm, I'm like Alex going down the mob grazing route. But what really got me interested in the soil health, and one of the reasons for going down that route was cutting costs as far as uh, machinery costs and the, le- the less diesel used. And um, Because if you're plowing to, f- to eight inches every year, you're moving... 20,000 cubic meters of soil just to create a seed bed. That is a phenomenal, why are we moving all this soil? And you're, you're dis, um, the aggregate stability totally goes and um, there's a pan created eight inches down at the bottom. But that was one of the reasons why I went down this route. And just rec- more recently, after visiting the States in 2014 and um and France and, and looking around farms which are practicing sort of regenerative conservation type agriculture, I suddenly realized there's a lot more to it than just um, saving some costs. And soil is incredibly complex. And if I can build up soil health, it will provide for the future, is more resilient. And, and going forward, um, I want a resilient system that will be future proof, so to speak. And that's one way of... Um, why I've changed a few things on the farm. Sorry, that wasn't very coherent, but um. No, that was that was very coherent. I I, I enjoyed it, and it it totally, I think concise is sometimes good, and it it was concise. Um, Alex, um, something that that always intrigues me. I think if you were to stop somebody in the street and ask them about soil on farms, they would probably just really think about growing crops and growing grass to feed animals. They wouldn't necessarily think about carbon, soil carbon, and in particular carbon sequestration. So 
what can you tell us about that? And why is that important for the role that, that farming is playing in effectively in the fight against climate change? I think if I reverse four years ago, I wasn't necessarily thinking about carbon sequestration myself. It was a fairly newish topic to me as well. I was initially looking at micro micro elements in, in the soil. We knew I had them there, but they weren't plant available. And what got me onto that was, well, how do I make these base nutrients plant available? How do I increase the functionality or the functionability of them within the soil? And that was really driven then into the biology or the sort of living organic matter in the soil, it would help make these nutrients more plant available. And that then r- ran on to basic photosynthesis of plants. They, they respire CO2, they inhale it, they breathe it in, they convert it back into oxygen. And that process is as old as ryegrass, and ryegrass is meant to be sort of 21 or 22 mil- million years old. And probably... A large degree of ignorance on the part of people who, who work the land. We just have not thought about that, not thought about it deeply enough, or we've been sidetracked by a multinational commercial industry. I really hang my hat on carbon sequestration as being the singular most important thing that we can do as agriculturists, full stop. If we are in charge of land management, if we are growing beef cereals, Whatever it is we do, we need to consider managing carbon globally. And the changes that we need to make are not massive to make a significant difference to the planet. And it would be fair to say that conventional ag for at least the last hundred years of humanity for for far longer has degraded landscapes and and soils across the world. And we need to reverse that super quick. So when opportunity comes along then, as a practicing farmer day to day, to tie up with some really clever people, the science team that have been part of this project, Ethan, Carla, who's been a PhD student, and get all of us in the same room talking about a common goal and a common theme, it has just been brilliant. And I'm hopeful that with working alongside Ethan, Carla, and, and the rest of the team here, that that knowledge transfer happens quicker. It's for the benefit of all, of, of all of us. Thank you, Alec, there for name-checking some of the, the very important people. Esan, who's taking part in this podcast, and Carla from Abertay University, um, also involved have been Dundee University, the James Hutton Institute, and, and as I alluded to earlier on, uh, funding from the Scottish Rural Development Programme as a part of the Knowledge Transfer and Innovation Fund. So none of this project would happen without the, the funds and, and those people. Um and just, just for clarification, Alex, before we move on, people might be sitting here thinking, OK, crush rock on soils. How do you apply it? You know, you, you don't just presumably wander about the field scattering it with your hands. You know, how, how is this rock applied to the soil? And c- c- just so that we can close our eyes and visualise it. <laughs> when Doug started talking about crushed rocks, I was closing my eyes and visualising that. <laughs> Uh, we, we've applied it in, in, a, in a couple of different formats. The, the initial application we did, or the, the initial use of it, we did using a, a GPS lime spreader. And it was applied at 5 ton, 10 ton, and 20 ton a hectare to see if there's any substantial difference, substantial visual difference across the farm. And then lastly, it has been applied by lime spreaders just conventionally, it's at 5 ton a hectare. But I've also mixed in with farmyard manure. 
and try to compost compost that manure into into a more organic state. We've tried to balance out the carbon uh, nitrogen ratios in it to make it more easily digested by by the soil. And I was then the mixing ratio there was roughly ten to one. It, it was a wee bit Heath Robertson, I suppose, in a way, but we, we applied that to young spiders. And that seemed to work exceptionally well. I was very pleased with that. And that that was been mid- mulching and middening for probably about 18 months. We, we turned it a few times with a digger. It, it wasn't composted as an aerated oil well enough, but it did allow us to apply, apply the product to the land. Thank you very much. For those of you who, who couldn't picture it, that has been in- incredibly helpful. Um, Essan, crush rock can sequester carbon. Um, can you talk us through, now bearing in mind we're not all scientists, but can you talk us through a bit of the science behind that and therefore why this project was even sort of put forward in the first place? Sure, sure. So um, for this project, we use basic silicate rock. These type of rocks are those that... Um, heavily contain magnesium and calcium. So up to 20% of the rock contains either magnesium or calcium. And when these two material weather, they release ion format of the material, so calcium ion or magnesium ion. And when dissolved CO2 meets these type of material in soil, they form calcium or magnesium carbonate. So that is really the process how um, a gas, which is CO2, that arrives in soil and it arrives in soil through photosynthesis or it can be dissolved in rainwater and arrive in soil and it forms with weather product from this basic silicate rock. And that's the, the formation of uh, capturing gas from atmosphere into a solid matter in soil. And this is a type of carbon that we call inorganic carbon as opposed to organic carbon that uh, is something which is more known to us. Um, one main difference between these two types of carbon is that um, inorganic carbon is a more stable sink, so provides a more stable sink in soil. When it's stored in soil, we know that it's going to stay there either permanently or for a longer period of time. Organic carbon, uh, when it when it when it's formed in soil, when the organic matter dies, technically, um, this, the the absorbed CO2 goes back into the atmosphere. But we have more stable sink for the carbon when we are dealing with um, inorganic carbon. Um, so yeah, this is how um, this material, when it's present in soil, gives us the opportunity of capturing and storing CO2 in soil as a permanent or semi-permanent sink. That makes sense. And, and I am definitely no scientist. So uh, you obviously very good at explaining it. And hats off to you, Essan. You're obviously an incredibly uh, experienced guy and you're dealing with all this in, in not your second language. So I am incredibly impressed. Um, I'm curious, and two of them are listening, so we might we might tell them to block their ears. But I'm curious, Essan, how how has the process been of of dealing with farmers in this project? I think we all know they're quite a unique bunch. But uh, what's it been like uh, working with them? As I mentioned in the beginning of um, this talk, um, my journey with the inorganic carbon sequestration as a function of uh, atmospheric CO two removal started in 2014, but Really, prior to meeting Alex Brewster, my main focus has been on urban soil. 
And then when I met Alex Brewster, we realized that at Rotman Farm, we actually, so Alex used the same type of material as an agricultural input. So that was when we realized that, well, yeah, there is also this component which we haven't really paid much attention to, which is using the material for agricultural soil that can provide, again, towards multifunctionality, provide an agricultural input and at the same time provides the opportunity for us to capture and absorb CO2 from atmosphere. So it was a really new area for me. And personally, I have learned quite a lot. So that has been a learning curve for myself. And uh, yeah, very, very interesting journey, a very valuable journey, I would say. And um, that has provided me with the opportunity to learn more about the process and also close and open a new avenue for us to explore, which is an agricultural soil. Great. Thank you, Eshan. Over recent weeks, the On Farm podcast has, has spoken to many different organisations um, and companies all about the, the various targets that we're facing with regard to climate change. We've got to reduce emissions by 30% in the next nine years, um, and we've managed to reduce by 15% since 1990, but that still means we've got four times that amount um, to do to hit this target. So I think this is all about exploring new avenues, looking for new ideas, working out what works best, uh, working out what works in harmony with agriculture as well, because at the end of the day, farmers have still got to be producing food for us all, as well as taking care of this huge, huge challenge. Um, but Doug, I'd like to come back to you. I mean, how do you feel in general terms about the, the various um, emission reduction targets and how you and your fellow farmers are and can contribute to that? I think going down a sort of regenerative farming approach is a means by which we can reduce consumption because the big elephant in the room here is, is consumption. It's fossil fuels. The big bonus also is the sequestration element or ability of soils to sequest carbon. And what anybody says, any growing living plant can sequest carbon through photosynthesis, whether it be a tree or permanent grass or a crop. But it's the balance of, of or the aim of being... Um, carbon negative at the end of the day is 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 sequestering more than um the inputs you're putting in um so it's like a balance sheet sheet type thing what was the question again um in general terms how you feel about the targets that that with agriculture is facing and their ability as a group to hit those targets I think we, yeah, I think we, I think we can hit the tar targets, but it's going to be very painful, and um, we can't suddenly flick a switch and become um, all farmers become um, in five years' time. It's going to take a take. It's going to take time to change agriculture, and at the end of the day, we're basically an extraction business. We are. We're taking, we're taking um, nutrients out of the soil and exporting them as food, but. Um, you've got to remember, food is one of the most important things. We can't live without food. We can live without um, our holiday to um, the south of Spain every year, but um, food is a completely different matter. And yes, so, you know, you've mentioned about fossil fuels and other things. 
soil analysis is key for you and, and for many other people, isn't it? I mean, what does it what does it really tell you? What you, can you get from it? And then I suppose the second part of the question is, you know, what have you learned further about soil analysis as a result of this project? I want to just make sure that science isn't left out of the equation because most farmers can probably tell what their soils are like, how healthy their soils are like, are, are like how quickly they can infiltrate water, whether they've got that nice sort of soily aroma rather than a pungent smell. But the chemical side is something a farmer can't do by himself. So I get full analysis of the soils done every every four, year, four years and I get a full analysis because, for example, if I'm using a lot of nitrogen, what's the point of putting nitrogen on, copious amounts of nitrogen on, if your pH levels are down at three? If there's one element or one nutrient lacking, it might might severely compromise your ability to grow healthy crops. So really, knowledge is everything. If you're not armed with that scientific knowledge, you've got nothing to base your decisions on, I suppose, is, is, is a summary. Um, if you could imagine that we're talking again, you and I, Doug, in five years' time or maybe 10 years' time for another podcast... What do you think you'll be telling me that's different to now? Will you be you? Do you think you'll be using crushed silicate rock on your farm? Um, what other things do you think you'll be doing in five or ten years' time that will be interesting for for our listeners to hear? Then, in an ideal world, I'd like to be able to cut my use of synthetics quite considerably more, like artificial nitrogen, because whatever anyone says, while synthetic inputs might not be uh, bad for the soil or biodiversity, or carbon sequestration, they're certainly not good. If I can use a local crushed rock product, which will speed up the process of soil health, I will use more of it. Alex, Andrew Moyer, who you'll probably, most of you will know, said on a recent podcast, he said, you know, the only way any business is going to be able to do its bit towards fighting climate change is if, if it can ensure it's profitable. You know, costs come into this as well. Um, has it been expensive uh, or will it be expensive uh, to put crushed rock on the soil? But, but it, is it worth the money? What are your thoughts? I think Anna, it's, it's, all, it's all relative. If the return we get from applying the product is enough, enough in the... the the physical uplifts within the soil are plentiful, then the cost of application becomes to a point ir- irrelevant. That's not particularly it's a great answer. I, I think that we, we do a lot of things on farm because we've always done them. And we apply a lot of products or buy a lot of products or go through processes because it, it's still the, the, the I've been attitude. And that at times we probably don't challenge ourselves enough to adapt and overcome. I think there's a bit of a lag of information in terms of soil soil science and getting that join up together with practical farm application and how we can mitigate and, and get away from the use of synthetics. We haven't used synthetic fertilizer since I think 2000, so that's getting on 20, 20, just over 20, 20 years. And it hasn't created a, a single speed bump in the production system on farm because as I, I, I strongly believe it's massively detrimental to soil health as well as uh, ruminant health. 
because it's, it's, it's wiping out key layers of bi biology on farm and that then has a knock-on effect to the, the health and welfare of, of our livestock. So I think we need to to learn to work with more natural processes, but it takes time to understand what these natural processes are. And in and running back to one of your, your previous questions, food production and farming is a huge field. We, we, we in the coal face just do the production, but there's upstreaming, there's downstreaming, there's, there's transport, there's logistics, there's, there's wastage, and there's a huge degree of food wasted in, in the Western world. And, and all that contributes to the global carbon loss. And are we able to utilize or optimize that entire system so we can reduce huge wastage and also maybe become a little bit more seasonal, let, let less shipment of nutrients across the planet? That's probably particularly not smart. And I, I just wonder if at some point in the future when we'll stop talking about the euro or sterling or the dollar and we'll start measuring actually commodities and carbon. Ultimately, if this is our greatest challenge, and Essien probably understands this better than I do, if carbon is, is the, our greatest challenge, then we need to start using that as, as, as a currency or, or a basing of currency or a basing on pricing of products. Why is it so important that we continue to look for ways around this, look for ways in which to, to capture carbon? It's critical. It's like putting money in the bank. And soil is so crucial. If you've got a fully functioning soil, biologically, physically and chemically functioning soil, what it can give back is enormous, enormous. And being able to, for plants to capture um, carbon from the air and put it... So most majority of carbon that goes into the ground is put in through the roots. It's not through um, above ground biomass it's the, it's the roots it's the photosynthesis that does the job and um, the more we can look after our soils and care for them the more they'll give back and the and and at the end of the day biodiversity clean water water infiltration drought periods um, and production the the environment people's health and um, and the farmer are winners all winners in this. It, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. It's not one product out of a packet that will cure everything. It's a holistic approach to, to farming. Maybe something that I can add in here, you know, we have targets to arrive at net zero. Arriving at net zero emission involves all sectors of the society to work together and provide their input into this. So having, for example, this basic silicate material, there are science to be done on this. So we still have questions that we need to answer. But if our theory that the material is capable of absorbing and sequestering CO2 in the, in, in the soil is ultimately proven according to our tests, our, our, our laboratory tests, this will be also a contributing factor towards that net zero emission uh, targets that we have. So the factor of cost for the material is not the only point that we need to take into account. If the material is able to provide uh, that contribution for us, because there will be a point that 
uh, each one of us will be, I believe, this is my personal opinion, that there will be a point where each one of us would uh, have to provide our input into net zero, uh, arriving at net zero emission. And then if that pro- that material provides us this function, in addition to the other function that we uh, need from the material, which is providing the proper agricultural input for our agricultural uh, lands, then that would be a really big win-win situation. Yes, absolutely. SM, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Anybody looking to find out more can go to at Rock on Soils on Twitter um, and also find the project on Facebook. But if somebody's listening and they want to give this a try, Alec, where do you find rock to crush and put on the soil? Where where, where does one go for that kind of purchase? I think the, there's quite a, there's a, a handful of quarries across Scotland that have uh, they produce they produce crushed rock as a byproduct from the road aggregate ind- industry. And there's certain quarries that have a, a higher grade material. As Essen has, has alluded to earlier on, he's worked with crushed rock for several years in the urban setting. Gardeners have used it for quite a number of years, and that's ultimately how I came across it, was through the, the vegetable gardening sector. So the potential of what it can do is known. I think we need to understand what's happening at a biological level, what what it's doing microbially. Is there a certain diversity of plants that are key to really lighting this product up? We need to understand, and and this is where a nine-month project is probably not long enough. This needs to run Mm. between three and five years to allow us to, to play with this product at a farm level and play with different application rates, different types of crops, whether it's pasture, cereals, fruit or veg, or a combination of all to really understand how it best fits into a sort of 21st century farming system. Yes, absolutely. And I think the point is, it's about innovation. It's about looking for solutions and trying new things. And that's exactly what the last nine months have been about, really. Um so I suppose it's a matter of watch this space and get in touch on Twitter or Facebook if, if you'd like to, to find out a little bit more. A fascinating chat there about the Rock on Soils project and its potential benefits, particularly to sequester carbon, which is going to be increasingly important as we get closer and closer to climate change deadlines in years to come. Thanks to our guests and thanks to SOPA, the Scottish Organic Producers Association. SOPA are the champions of organic farming in Scotland and without doubt the people to talk to about organic and sustainable farming. The On Farm podcast tells rural stories, as you know, and is made by our team here at Seen and Heard. That's the PR and marketing agency that my co-host Monty and I run together. We offer services from branding and web building to social media management, media relations and everything in between. And of course, podcast production and training. Um, This week's thank you, um, we always like to thank some of our listeners, um, goes specifically to Jock Gibson at Edenvale Farm, who got in touch with us to say that he's enjoyed this week's episode on his once a fortnight trip off farm to the slaughterhouse. So thanks, Jock, and uh, we'll see all of you next time.